Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. A and unique insider's look at the cosmetic industry. <laughs> or is it all unique? I forget. Anyway, <laughs> this is episode 266. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day in California. Ah, well, it's a hot and muggy day here in Chicago, but it's the evening now, and so that gives me a chance to uh, talk to you and answer some questions. And on today's show, we're going to talk about whether tretinoin is making hair fall out, uh, what we think of the Orbi hair care products. Uh, We'll also talk about cosmetic active ingredients and do they really work? Then we'll get into whether LED masks uh, at home are worthwhile and which one you should get. And finally, we'll talk about that NASA skincare technology. But first, uh, how about some of our inane chit-chat, Valerie? It can be inane, but I think we have some fun stuff planned to talk about today. Well, I have to tell you, uh, right now, I'm feeling a little hungry. Do you know why? Mm, Why? Well, today was my fasting day. So uh, I started on this project many years ago where uh, once a month I don't eat anything. (laughs) It's more of a challenge, I suppose. Um, But I also read that it was like heart healthy. So uh, yeah, today, uh, this is the first time I'm recording without any food in my belly. Wow. Wow. So do you drink anything? Like what what goes on during the day? Uh, The only thing I drink is water or hot tea, which I have not right now. And the hot tea has no sugar or anything in it. It's just black. Well, it's mostly the way I drink tea. It's just really brown water. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist always says, are you hungry? Drink a glass of water. So, (laughs) well, there is some truth to that. (laughs) You know, there's another topic I wanted to chat about before we get to our main topics. Uh, first of all, you know, last time was our special 100th episode. Yep, it sure was. Uh, although, you know, it, to the discerning listener, they would have heard me say this was episode 266. And they're saying, what were those other first 166 episodes? Yeah. Or well, 165, actually. Then we did yeah. the numbering. It's all right. Perry wasn't a math major, everyone. <laughs> He was, though I play one on the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, I reached out to the former host, Randy, and I said, hey, Randy, we just had 100 episodes, and he sent in this this reply, Uh uh, which I thought would be interesting for uh, us to hear. Hi, this is Randy Schuler, Grand Emeritus of the Beauty Brains, and I'm here to congratulate Perry and Val on their first 100 episodes together. So, Val, we've never met but I want to compliment you on a couple of points. First, you're highly articulate, and the fact that you actually use the products that you guys talk about does bring a compelling angle to the show that was missing before, so thank you. Also, just for the record, I've started wearing eyeliner and blush, so if you get into any of those questions, just throw them my way. Uh, But what I appreciate most about Val is that you found a way to be a companion for Perry that brings out the best in him, so the two of you together are quite a team. And Perry, for your stamina in continuing to field these questions year after year after year, 
You deserve the Mason G. Navarro medal just for that alone, not to mention the other things you've done for the cosmetic industry. Hey, quick fact check. In episode 100, you mentioned your highest grossing show with Val, but can you tell us what the highest rated episode of all time is? My guess is it's something that you and I did together, and the downloads are probably in the range of Avengers End the Game or something. But anyway, can you just run those numbers, please? Anyway, in conclusion, uh, I have to mention that the entire Beauty Brains brand was Perry's idea, except for the name. I get credit for that. <laughs> and I am so proud that this thing we created continues to educate people and hopefully make their lives better. And I'm grateful to Val for carrying on the tradition. So congratulations, guys. Thank you. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Aww. Thanks, Randy. Uh, I w- <laughs> you know, I was kind of expecting him to do a little dig, but <laughs> which is sort of part of our show thing. There, well, that but, was so uh, sweet. You know, he didn't challenge that I'm the cutest brain to date. <laughs> he so did not. Good. I think he would agree. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks, Randy. It's an honor to continue on the tradition. Well, Randy is is doing fine, as you hear. Uh, he's off to he's a. Uh, Runs a doctor clinic now, right, or something. Very ah, cool. Okay. So what's the top-rated episode of all time? Well, that was a very good question. Um, and it was episode uh, 144. Ooh, just before I came on. On that episode, uh, it was titled, Do You Smell Different When You Ovulate? So, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> I can't believe both of you guys answered that question. That wouldn't have happened if this were in today's today's show with me uh, as the host. Absolutely. All absolutely. lady questions, uh, I get the answer. <laughs> what were we thinking? But, you know, <laughs> highest rated show. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's not what I was expecting. Yeah, I'm like episode 144 download. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, are we ready to move on to some beauty science news? Sure are. The first story that I wanted to talk about was uh, more of a non-story, I guess. But um, you know how uh, blue light is one of these topics in the cosmetic industry that is gaining some traction. And specifically, um, it's for consumers to protect themselves from the damage caused by blue light, like from computer screens and your phones and things. What about uh, blue light from the atmosphere? People never talk about that. There is also blue light in the atmosphere. So you get a whole bunch more blue light, actually, when you go outside than when you are in in the house. But in this story, uh, you know that company Beiersdorf? Yeah. Well, Beiersdorf looked specifically at this, and they had concluded that blue light from digital devices does not actually damage skin because the levels emitted during use are not enough to trigger uh, harmful effects. And this was a study that they had run in Norway. Do you know what's interesting about Beiersdorf is that really they have no reason to make that statement, they are a manufacturer, a German company that has many brands like Eucerin, Nivea, Coppertone, yeah. La Prairie. So they really have no reason to say that 
blue light is not dangerous uh, because they could be in the business of selling people products. So I found that was interesting. You don't usually see a brand saying, yeah, you know, you probably shouldn't worry about that. Yeah, well, I do want to point out while the headline was that, oh, blue light isn't dangerous, uh, what their research did say that it was the natural blue light uh, out in the atmosphere Correct. that that might be enough to cause problems. So you don't really have to worry about your phone and your computer causing problems, but the sun outside might have a problem. And so sure. perhaps they're developing products for that. Maybe. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. I had uh, blue light from devices in my mind there. Well, another interesting story actually kind of involves Firesdorf, right? Uh, inadvertently. Uh, there is a GQ.com story that says... Uh, German Nivea is the cheap cult grooming product of the moment. And one of the uh, aspects in the article is that, uh, you know, people really, really love the Nivea original cream that comes in one of those cans. It's one of the uh, original cold cream moisturizers left on the market. And of course, um, I really love this product, uh, but there is a New York based esthetician uh, that talks about why she is such a huge advocate uh, and recommends and uses the product regularly. But wait a second, is this so? This isn't like Noxzema, right? This is like Nivea. Like, are they the same kind of product? Well, I think they kind of probably have some similar chemistries. Uh, so yeah. what's interesting here is, I mean, everyone knows Nivea. It's a pretty occlusive, protective formula. Really works to hydrate the skin. So is this like a, a Coke and Pepsi thing? Like there's some Nivea people and some Noxzema people? Because we were a Noxzema family. Yeah, yeah. I was too growing up. Then they had the little pads and stuff. But I was also a Nivea sure. family because uh, oh. we use this not as a face wash per se, but really just like a moisturizer. And I actually mm -hmm. have one of the little tins here uh, that I still buy and use. One of the interesting points in the article is that the uh, esthetician uh, grew up in the UK. And when she came to the U.S., uh, she was like, wow, um, this formula really must be different. And uh, she goes on to point out some of the difference from Nivea purchased in the United States and Nivea purchased in uh, Europe, specifically Germany. And she states the German formula doesn't contain mineral oil, micro crystalline wax or petrolatum and the texture is different. Now, what's it sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> what's interesting about that is that's kind of what that formula is based on. So uh, I typed into uh, Google to find some German websites, um, Nivea Creme in Inhaltsstoffe, which is what ingredients are called. And there's a website that I use uh, typically when I want to find different ingredient listings for various brands. Uh, one of them is Hautschutzengel.de, uh, which is a German website. And they, they go through the uh, Nivea ingredients. Uh, Perry, I know you also have a picture of a German uh, Nivea tin. And, yeah, uh, right. you know, it's interesting, uh, those ingredients that this esthetician says aren't in the formula, mineral oil, microcrystalline wax and petroleum. I hate when people say petroleum, but they actually are because people don't put petroleum in products. We put petroleum. <gasps> well, I, I think, I think that's one of the things. Yeah, there's no petroleum in there. Nobody puts petroleum in their products. Yeah, she's not <laughs> wrong. Put it in your car. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. She's not wrong there. But the ingredient <laughs> listing says paraffinum uh, liquidum. Does that sound familiar, Perry? What's another name for that on this German ingredient uh, list for uh, Nivea Creme? 
If you look up paraffin liquidium, it says mineral oil. <laughs> what about like, Sarah Microcrystallina? Microcrystalline yeah, wax. Right, microcrystalline. And para- paraffin is petrolatum. So this person is yeah. totally way off base uh, in saying that the German Nivea doesn't use those things uh, when an ingredient list, a picture of a tin, and a website listing the Inhaltsstoffe clearly state that those ingredients are in there. They're just called uh, something a little bit different. In Europe, we don't write mineral oil. That's a term used in the United States and Canada. Uh, you know, we write paraffinum liquidum. So, Yeah, there are some, while most of the chemical names uh, overlap between uh, the EU and the United States and, and other places in the world, some ingredient names have country-specific names, so they change them a bit, and the EU changes them a bit, and clearly in Germany they change them. They're still the same ingredient. I mean, it's still mineral oil, it's still petrolatum, and it's still microcrystalline wax. So it's it's pretty much the same formula. It would be amazing if Nivea changed their classic formula that's been around for decades, dare say 100 years <laughs> perhaps, maybe a hundred years, uh, if they would just change that in the United States and have a U.S. version and have a German version. That, that, that's just not generally how companies do things. No, not at all. So uh, the esthetician's wrong. And uh, I mean, maybe there sure are differences. It's not those differences that she right, stated, right. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that actually, if you look at the version that's uh, supplied to the United States, I saw one, it was made in Mexico, and they have a different type of preservative system. Uh, but for the most part, these are exactly, the, the, the bulk of these formulas, uh, the German version, U.S. version, are the same. Exactly. You know, we got an email, Valerie. Why don't you take us through that listener's email about uh, an interesting product and claims that they found? Yeah. Oh, gosh. This was a great one. I had to laugh. And this comes from MC. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, this with us. You, you're a very funny person. Uh, <laughs> listener MC writes, hope you are both doing well. I'm sure you've seen a lot of outrageous beauty claims, but this one made me laugh out loud. And if you don't have an award yet, gosh, we, Perry, we should get an award. Uh, this one might be a strong contender. Unless, of course, you fail to tell the Beauty Brains audience about modern drone delivery mechanics and eye serums. <laughs> based, <laughs> yeah, gosh, why didn't we bring that up? Uh, based on the ingredients, is glycerin the drone that delivers the next generation cyclic peptide technologies? I'm sure you'll find the formulation simple and elegant with 68 ingredients, roughly $1 per in- ingredient. <laughs> 68 ingredients. Whoa. So this is uh, a Decium product, uh, Nyad, the brand within uh, Decium in the Ordinary. We've noticed that many of you have been intrigued by Nyad fractionated eye contour concentrate, and we wanted to share a little bit of why this formulation is so special to us. Nyad fractionated eye contour concentrate, FECC, is a highly concentrated eye serum that combines 28 technologies to target visible <laughs> oh. aging, including the looks of dynamic and fine static lines, loss of elasticity, dark circles, puffiness, and textural unevenness underneath and above the eyes. The technologies included within the formula borrow from advanced biotechnology, polyphenol technology, next generation cyclic peptide technologies, marine science, and modern drone delivery. <laughs> Mechanics what? to offer a very concentrated and effective serum to target various eye concerns. 
FECC is able to target visible aging on both the upper eyelids and lower eyelids, including the looks of dynamic lines, static lines, fine fine superficial under eye lines, those not targeted by snare target injections, loss of elasticity, especially in the upper eyelids, dark circles, puffiness, and textural textural unevenness (laughs) with positive visible results starting within three days and improving into eight weeks with continued use. I don't know why I had to use that voice, but what? Well, it sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Wow. There is a lot there to unpack. 28 technologies and one product? Wow. That's incredible. You know, to some people, less is more. To some people, more is more. I think to a lot of marketers, more is more. (laughs) It gives you more to talk about. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that would be the, uh, if we had an award, uh, that would certainly be a strong contender for uh, uh, for whatever new award we're going to, the Ridiculous Marketing Award. Oh my gosh. We'll come up with a better name for it. We'll work on it. That's actually an excellent suggestion, um, MC, kind of like the Darwin Awards, right? It's like, oh my gosh, this sure, really sure. takes the cake for it. Wow. Indeed. Shall we move on to listener questions? These questions come to us from all from Patreon uh, listeners. Woo-woo. And so if you wanted to be a Patreon listener and uh, you want to get your questions uh, higher priority than all the other questions we get uh, and answered before everyone else's, you can just go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and you can subscribe. All right, here's the first question. It comes to us from D. He says, hello. First, thank you so much for all your enlightening content that you produce. Well, thanks, Dee. My question has to do with retinoids and female pattern hair loss. I ask because I've been a topical tretinoin user for years now due to acne. And I have noticed a significant hair loss after starting tretinoin. I understand that it's all anecdotal and that correlation doesn't imply causation, but I'm also wary of anything posted on the internet as well as anything published in beauty magazines like New Beauty and Allure. (laughs) (laughs) But having said that, could there be a link between topical tretinoin and hair loss in your professional opinions? And what about other topical retinoids? I would love any insight, thoughts, or suggestions you might have on this. Uh, she does also add, on the flip side, I found info that suggests the opposite, that topical tretinoin can actually help regrow hair. And she also says, which we would have said this, but she puts this in her question. She says, please note that I've already seen a dermatologist and endocrinologist about the hair loss and am aware that there could be various underlying causes for hair loss, aging, genetics, hormones, iron deficiency, etc. I'm just curious to know if there might be another angle. Thanks mm. again. And that's from D. Well, excellent question. And the great news is, um, you know, these are really drugs. They're not cosmetic ingredients. So uh, there is information available on it. Yeah, um, and I did a little looking into this, and based on what I find, no, I don't think there is a link between tretinoin and hair loss. So there isn't a lot published, I should say that, and some of the papers that I found were rather old. Um, in a 1986 paper published in the Journal of the Academy of Dermatology, they found that tretinoin alone was shown to stimulate hair growth for about 60% of the people in a study. 
Uh, and it worked even better in combination with minoxidil. So that gets to that second part where you were saying that, uh, oh, I've, I've read that it actually makes hair grow. Uh, there is some evidence of that. now, And in people. Right. And this is in people, right. Now, it must not be that impressive, though, since tretinoin is not generally prescribed for hair growth. So uh, it wasn't, it didn't meet the level that the FDA would require to put it on the monograph. So maybe that's just a fluke, but maybe it can help with hair growth. Um, in fact, it is listed as one of the possible side effects. Uh, it's uh, hypertrichosis, uh, which is excessive hair growth, uh, the use of tretinoin. Which is only beneficial when it's on your head, not like your upper uh. lip. As a woman, but exactly. anyway. Now, as far as hair loss goes, there is evidence when taken orally, uh, there's some diffuse hair loss, and it's been observed in about uh, 20% of the people that take the oral supplement of uh, retinoids. Now, I will add that this is mostly with people who take really high doses. But as far as topical treatments go, so that's the oral one. But as far as topical treatments go... According to a paper published in the journal Drug Safety, there were no cases of hair loss during isotretinoin treatment uh, that were reported in the literature. And now that was from an article uh, published in 1994, so maybe since then there have been, but I didn't see anything published in the literature connecting tretinoin use topical and hair loss. Well, you can look up uh, common side effects, rare side effects, all of that is published information. Uh, you can look that up on the internet. And there really isn't uh, anything that I saw where hair loss is a reported side effect. Now, that being said, a lot of people, or maybe some people are experiencing hair loss, and they're just not reporting it, right? This stuff has to be reported for the FDA or the drug manufacturers to establish a link or list it as a possibility. So you yeah. can, if you would like, go onto the FDA website and report uh, this as a side effect or talk to your doctor about reporting it as a side effect. If you choose, I've actually done that before uh, with, you know, some medicines that I've taken where I'm like, hmm, and then when I stop taking the medicine, it, it goes away. Uh, you know, but they take a look at all the people reporting that information and then do uh, in investigative work on some of the more rare side effects that weren't seen over, over typical use. So you can look that up. Hair loss is not one of them. Now there are a whole array of different uh, skin side effects that you can experience. And maybe that's interacting uh, with the hair somehow. So, uh, you know, not totally sure about that, but there's nothing on the internet that says these uh, drugs are um, providing hair loss in the topical form. Right. Uh, I will also add onto that is that what they did find if you did experience hair loss by taking the oral version uh, when you stopped taking that uh, the hair loss sort of subsided and so your hair started coming back now I saw the links that D sent uh, and these were you know from Reddit from New Beauty from Allure <laughs> just all of the things that she said and there were people that were you know pointing out that um, they experienced hair loss and they had tretinoin they were using tretinoin. Um, and they also reported that there was an uptick in the number of people reporting to the FDA. And I didn't see the numbers on that. So uh, I, I don't know. But, you know, as you point out, this is just anecdotal evidence. So I, I don't really think based on the published literature that the hair loss that you're experiencing is due to topical tretinoin treatments. That wouldn't be my first guess. 
but having said that, if tretinoin has an impact that could increase hair growth, a topical one, uh, that does mean that it has some impact in the hair growth system, right? It has some. Um, now, the best evidence would suggest that it's not involved in causing hair loss, but you know, it's not completely unreasonable to think that maybe it could have that effect. I just highly doubt it, and there's not a lot of evidence to suggest it. Uh, and I don't put a lot of faith in um, internet reports of consumers who try products and see some effect, and then they blame whatever treatment they're using. Uh, as you rightly state, correlation is not causation. All right, let's move on to our next question. This one comes to us from Grace. Grace says, hi, can you talk about Oribe hair care products in comparison to lower cost options? Assuming y'all will say Orbe is not as special as the brand thinks it is, just curious if there's anything about it worth the price and if there is a comparable lower price brand. Thank you. Well, every brand is going to think that they're special, right? <laughs> Otherwise, why would they exist? Yeah. Well, um, as usual, I would like to disclose that all opinions are my own and do not reflect opinions of my employer or anybody else. Just in case someone from Orbe is <laughs> listening, I'm like, eh. Anyway, do you want to call it? Do you want to call yourself uh, uh, Right Brain for this segment? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Right Brain, and I am familiar with Orbe. Uh, yeah, you know, I've used a lot of the products. Uh, it, obviously, there's a lot of hype. It's a very, very expensive brand. I think as pretty expensive as it gets for hair care. I will say, first of all, the packaging is beautiful. The presentation is stunning. The fragrances yeah, it looks pretty, are yeah. fine fragrances. They're exquisite. They're not cheap fragrances. But, you know, I have to say, you know, when I look at the ingredient list and I've, I'm using the products and I, I try not to be, you know, too biased. I I'd actually don't look at an ingredient list until after I've tried a product. I try to guess if I can feel like what the uh, emollients are, what the conditioning agents are, if there's silicones present, if so, what they are. You know, I try to do all that. And afterwards, I look at the bottle. So um, honestly, from a formulation perspective, uh, you know, not that special. Uh, I think it's really expensive. I was super excited to try their cleansing conditioner at one point in time. And, you know, the bottles are a little small in the ounce, amount of ounces that you get. And sure. I calculated that I used like $8 worth of cleansing conditioner for my hair for one shower. And wow. yeah, I was like, that's <laughs> kind of expensive, right? When you actually like weigh it out and say, what would I use? I have very long hair, a lot of hair, but still $8 is kind of a lot for one shower, right? So I think uh, if you love the products, that's awesome. I personally think it's a lot of uh, branding image uh, fragrance. Um, you know, they're not horrible products. I just don't think they're like doing anything that other products aren't doing. I think there are a lot of comparable brands that you can get in the Mastige segment. Uh, Mastige being the brink of, you know, pre, uh, prestige and, and mass market that are sure, sure. even a third of the price. There's just a lot of great products. I, um, you know, I like simple uh, formulations, things that uh, are minimalist and uh, they really just work well. Uh, I've talked about some of my favorite brands on the show, uh, but I think there are a lot of products that look up to Oribe as a brand and maybe reverse engineer some of their products. A lot of that goes on in the beauty industry. So I think... Well, I have to say there's nothing minimal about these formulas. 
They have a ton of ingredients in there, which is like kind of not necessary, right? So at least oh, a lot of my formulation approach. So many, so many extracts. uh, You know, they have why why do you have shea butter in your shampoo? It's just getting in the way of the cleaning part. Yeah, so I think uh, you could try a lot of other brands and be happy with the performance. Of course, if you're really more concerned about what your shower looks like with the bottles, Orbe is your best option. It's really, really beautiful packaging. The colors are wonderful. The fragrances are wonderful. But I feel like there's so many other products you could get. You know what you can do? You, you buy it once, and then uh, <laughs> when you run out, you clean out the bottle and then go get swab oh and then gosh. fill it up with that. I have a friend that does that. She literally does that with Orbe. I was involved in some consumer research studies where we went to people's house and we talked about their hair products. And there were people that literally told us they did that. They had the uh, expensive brand in there and they, they would fill it up with swab. So That's so funny. <laughs> that oh, happened. my gosh. Well, uh, if you look at the ingredient list of the shampoo, their main surfactants are uh, sodium lauryl methyl uh, isothionate and then sodium cocal isothionate and sodium lauryl sarcosinate. So if you're looking for uh, a brand that might perform similarly, I would look for something that has uh, the isothionate uh, surfactants in it and it'll probably do just as well. Yeah. Not not our favorite surfactants though. I no, no. I think they <laughs> like the, the, stick to the hair. You got to use a um, a clarifying shampoo at some point in time. But uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So that's our thoughts on that. Thanks for that question, Grace. Oh, you know, here's another Grace uh, asking an audio question. Hi, Perry and Valerie. Thank you so much for everything you do. I am a proud Patreon member and encourage everyone to donate a little bit if they can. You guys have saved me so much money and just made me so much smarter. Um, The topic I have uh, questions about today are around active ingredients and over-the-counter products. I know that you guys have explained that, um, you know, obviously the difference between prescriptions um, versus over-the-counter products, which can't technically legally change your skin, but retinols and AHAs and BHAs change your skin right? Because they're exfoliating and if they're formulated correctly, they're sloughing off dead skin. So to me, that's changing it. Um, and then I think there's other things that are considered actives and over-the-counter products like niacinamide, vitamin C, maybe hyaluronic acid, things that, you know, seem to be studied, at least from this consumer's perspective and, you know, researched enough that they're popular ingredients. Um, And based on what you guys have said, some of those ingredients aren't just trendy. I know that Perry doesn't necessarily agree with vitamin C, but Valerie does. And so I understand there's some debate around some of those. But overall, acids and retinol in particular seem to be, you know, shown to change the skin. So can you just explain how you guys understand the word active in over-the-counter or, you know, non-prescription beauty products? Thank you so much. Bye. Grace, wow, what a great question. Thank you so much for supporting the show through Patreon. By the way, we really appreciate that because we do do this for free. We don't take ads. We get approached all the time. We just refuse to do it because we really love what we do and want to give you guys non-biased content. And even if you say that, oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're non-biased, but we run commercials, you're kind of not (laughs) non-biased. 
And the second thing, Grace, I just need to know, are you team Valerie or team Perry on vitamin C? And actually to any listeners, if you're going to send in a vitamin C question, I actually need to know whose team you're on. <laughs> yes, in the future, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, hey, I'm I'm willing to change my, my mind on that, but... <laughs> But let's get to uh, let's get to Grace's question specifically. Now, this is a pretty interesting question. One that comes up all the time. Yeah. Now, we are located in the United States. I know we have worldwide listeners. So I want to point out that the regulations that we talk about are uh, the FDA regulations. There's a, a lot of overlap with the EU, but it's not exactly the same. And it's different in other places around the world. So we specifically can talk about the FDA. Um, now, the FDA, by legal definition of cosmetics, they uh, cosmetics are only supposed to be products that specifically are applied to the human body for cleansing, beautifying, promoting attractiveness, or altering the appearance. And they are specifically not supposed to work as drugs, meaning that they should not affect the structure or function of the body uh, of people or, or animals, for that matter. Whether a product is a drug or a cosmetics, it largely depends on the intended use. And the intended use is defined in three different ways. So first, intended use can be related to the claim. So if you make the claims on a product, if you make a drug claim, like something like prevents inflammation or stimulates collagen production, now your product is a drug. It's not a cosmetic. If you, if there's also a consumer perception piece, even if you don't make claim drug claims about your product if there is a general consumer perception that your product is a drug uh, then it's a drug and you know you are actually supposed to ask consumers uh, about your product and how they use it and whether they think it works as a drug Um, and if it does then the fda would consider your product a drug even if you don't call it that And then the third piece of that is it can be considered a drug if it includes an ingredient with a well-known therapeutic use. So that just means you can't like include sunscreens in your lotion and then not label it as a sunscreen uh, because sunscreens are a drug and those are drug active. So you you can't just put that in there and, you know, (laughs) not say anything about it, but because it comes, it becomes a drug. But there are certainly some gray areas here. Oh, yeah. And as, yeah, and as far as skin active ingredients go, yeah, this, it doesn't get much grayer than, than that. For sure. And I will tell you, part of it, honestly, Perry, are the raw material suppliers. And, and really what it stems down to is not the raw material suppliers themselves and the studies they conduct. It comes down to their marketing departments, just like it comes down right. to the marketing department at a brand level. You know, they're in the business of selling things. Products are, you know, companies are in the business of selling things and they want to say as much as they can. And I, you know, when I first entered the industry and I would learn about ingredients, I would be like, wait a second, if it does all these things, how can it not be a drug? Right. And they're like, right, whoa, right. whoa, 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 well, you can't say these things about it. And I'm like, then why are you telling me about it? I mean, it's just so confusing as a chemist. There was a raw material supplier who I, they were out of France, but I will not name anything else <laughs> about them. But they would every time bring in, a, in an ingredient, uh, you know, of course, the ingredients were you know, thousands of dollars uh, a pound or whatever. And it would be something like this ingredient will reverse gray hair. 
and it gets into the hair follicles and it stimulates melanin production and boom. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> or this one just Hashtag gets rid of wrinkles. Not a drug. wrinkles would, yeah, wrinkles will just wipe away. Works, inflammation all gone. I'm like, really? <laughs> Seems pretty amazing. You got to read the fine print on those babies. Well, the thing about raw material suppliers when they're trying to sell to chemists, they are not under the same restrictions about claims as the manufacturers of the cosmetic products would be when you're selling it to a consumer. Um, it's just a different level of scrutiny. And they expect cosmetic chemists to be a little more skeptical than consumers. Which we are. But then the problem is marketing departments and product developers get a hold of this information and go hog wild with it. But I digress. I love it when the raw material salespeople are like, hey, can we talk to your marketing people? <laughs> and you're like, no, you can't no. talk to them. No, we don't. All right, but to the question about ingredients like retinols and BHA. Well, retinols are in the family of retinoids, and you know some of those are proven drugs. Uh, as we were talking about, tretinoin, that is a prescription drug. Retinol is the much less potent uh, version of that. So I think the FDA has kind of allowed companies to make cosmetics with them, as long as you're not making drug claims. If you're saying something like boosting collagen, you know, even if that was theoretically true, uh, that would you, if you said that, that would turn your product into a drug. Yeah, that's true. It would. Now, BHAs and retinols, they also help with exfoliating. And while it's true that exfoliation does kind of change the skin, you know, they theoretically is not interacting with the skin biochemistry. Exfoliation is a natural process. Your skin just naturally sloughs off or you rub your arm and, you know, skin cells come flaking away. And so things like chemical exfoliators, they essentially will just speed up the physical removal process uh, of something that was going to go away anyway. And I guess that's the rationale for the FDA not uh, coming down on uh, these ingredients as really interacting with your cell metabolism. I should say, if you, you sit back and you look at it, even a skin moisturizer will impact your skin uh, metabolism. So there is a weird double standard here. Yeah, and the FDA actually does cover this topic a little bit on their website. And they even say, like, look, if you're just using AHAs and it's known to hydrate the skin, exfoliate dead skin away from the skin. Totally cool. The minute you make a drug or a therapeutic claim, like it can remove scars, lighten skin, etc., that's a structure function claim and that becomes a drug claim because you're diagnosing, treating, etc. Whereas right. the the skin removal is just like a form of uh, beautifying skin. It has nothing to do with a medical uh, diagnosis and or um, treatment. So now, uh, for an ingredient like niacinamide that you mentioned, uh, there is enough data to, that convinces marketers that the product works to reduce wrinkles, improve skin elasticity, reduce age spots, uh, but there's not enough evidence to convince the FDA that it works for drug purposes like that. That's why it's not like an approved drug. So this makes it a, a kind of a gray area. I mean, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But no one is motivated to want to know for sure, because <laughs> if you know if the manufacturer could show, oh, this this actually has drug effects, then they would have to apply for a new drug application with the FDA. That would cost a ton of money. Require animal testing. Yeah, exactly, all of that stuff. Uh, but the FDA also 
doesn't want to have to crack down on a practice in the industry that is being done pretty extensively. And since there hasn't been any huge amount of harm, uh, I think they have kind of uh, given companies a pass. And I would say this is also the same for vitamin C. You guys can't see my face, but I'm uh, mean mugging Perry right now. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting to note that companies kind of ignore that second test for whether the product, the intended use of the product, uh, consumer perception. If it becomes widely believed that these actives actually did affect your biochemistry, um, then the FDA could move to make these products misbranded, misbranded drugs and force an eventual product recall. Thus far, the FDA has not done that, but you know they have specifically said that companies who claim their product will increase collagen production are making illegal drug claims. So maybe they're not doing anything now about it, but they certainly could in the future. Yeah, so I think you know, in going back to, to Grace's question, like it, it's interesting, you know, we have like real drug actives that are OTC products, and then we have things that companies call actives. And, you know, no one wants to buy a product that they don't think is doing anything, right? So for all intents and purposes, it's not literally inactive, it's figuratively inactive, right? Even if the FDA probably wouldn't approve of that. But again, it just all goes back uh, to marketing and, you know, people want to think the product is doing something. I do have one comment, Perry, you know, you triggered something in me in your, you know, three steps of intended use. And one of those things is the consumer perception piece. And, you know, companies may say, you know what, let's just put it in and consumers will make statements. We won't make the statement. We'll let consumers do it. And that actually can get you in big trouble, uh, you know, with the FTC because a consumer making a claim and you allowing that claim to happen is the same thing as you making the claim. So, for example, oh, you know, I found this uh, product grew my hair back and it's not using a drug active like minoxidil um, in it. The FDA and FTC can come after you and say you're allowing these drug claims to happen. So uh, just even be wary of other consumer reviews. Of, of course, if you're taking them lighthearted, like, wow, this product's so amazing. My skin's so light and bright and I look so much younger. You know, to me, that's kind of lighthearted stuff. But be wary of those sensational claims uh, because those products don't have actives in them yeah. and uh, they're not approved for that. Well, another really messy part is CBD, but we'll save that for another show. (laughs) Yeah, we used to have a CBD segment. We should bring it back. (laughs) We should. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our fourth question. Hi, can I ask about at-home LED face masks for anti-aging? Is there any on the market you would recommend specifically for anti-aging? I'm considering two at the moment. One of these is the Cell Return Platinum LED Mask, and this is priced at over $2,000 slash euros. However, it has 1000 LED red and infrared lights at the night at the right frequency. The other mask I'm considering is the light salon boost LED face mask. This is priced at approximately $500, a quarter of the price. This has in total 100 red and infrared lights. My question is, is it worth investing in getting the best device I can? Does the number of lights make a difference? The cell return is having 10 times the number of lights as the light skin, but both have the same frequency of wavelengths. Does this justify the extra cost in terms of effectiveness? Jessica. Wow. Uh, 
$2,000 versus $500. Well, it makes you wonder, what is it about the $500 device and what is it about the $2,000 device that makes one cost more over the other? It's an interesting question. The thing that occurred to me first is just stepping back and saying, do these devices actually work? Do, do, whether you spend 500 or 2000 do they actually work? You know, I don't know. In my facials that I get uh, from the Hungarian woman that gives the most wonderful facial massages, uh, she does red light frequency treatments. And they, they're nice because you're in this spa pampered moment. But I always wonder, is this doing anything? I'm not going <laughs> to stop her because what if it is, right? I, I just don't right. know. Well, and and that is uh, like in a professional setting. Are the, the devices that you get at home are typically less powerful than you would get in a doctor's office. Yep. So that's even even less likely or something. Well, what does but, the research say? So I, well, you know, I looked through this, and there was a review article in Lasers in Surgery and Medicine, the journal, uh, and they looked at all of the best research studies related to these types of products. In fact, there were over 4,500 published articles um, about whether these treatments uh, have an effect, which is an amazing number. And you can see, I've seen the claim on the internet that, oh, these uh, these devices have a lot of research behind them. The question about research... (laughs) (laughs) Research is in air quotes, everybody. Well, is it good research? Yeah, there's a lot published about it, but it's good research. Well, in this review study, so so as we talked about before, when you do a review paper, you look at all the research that's been studied, and then you have a criteria by which you filter those to only the best types of study. And in the 4,500 published articles that they looked at, they narrowed it down to 31 good studies. (laughs) Now, a good study meant that it was placebo-controlled, it was double-blind, and there was, like, obvious (laughs) endpoints. And by the way, not all published articles are in great journals, right? Some of them are pay-to-play kind of things. So it's very important that you can take this vast amount of research and distill it down to meaningful uh, studies that can provide good information to guide future work. Exactly. And it also gives you a sense of the consensus of scientific opinion on things. You could always find one study that concludes one thing, but if there's only, that's the only thing and it's never been replicated, you know, you don't take that as seriously as multiple studies. So they had 31 good studies. Now, these the studies uh, that looked at exactly the topic that you're saying, you know, it's like anti-aging because there were things that looked at to affect acne, for example. Uh, but we just looked at the ones that talked about skin rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. And of those 31, there were three that specifically looked at skin rejuvenation. And using the red light, there were actually six that looked at it, but the other three were blue light. So this is just the red light. And in one study, they looked at the LED red light at six, 630 nanometers, and they saw no effect versus an untreated controls. Then there was a double-blind placebo-controlled study with 79 patients, and they found that there was a 32% improvement in skin texture when they followed a LED uh, near-infrared at 1072 nanometers, uh, and that treatment was 8 to 10 weeks. And now that was a patient self-assessment, but uh, the derm assessment didn't show those effects. So, you know, it's, it's some improvement, maybe, that you notice. 
there was the, the third study showed that the uh, LEDs at 633 nanometers uh, for 20 minutes and then uh, 830 nanometers uh, for 20 minutes twice weekly. It improved wrinkles 26% and 33%. So there was, uh, in that study, there was some effect. The paper gave an overall grade to the quality of the research on skin rejuvenation, and they said the data is about a C. <laughs> so A is the best, B is above average, C is just average. Well, I guess it depends whether or uh, not you like A's, B's, or if you're okay getting C's, <laughs> right. what you think, right? right. And and they did well. They did grade some people got D's with some other things. So so it's not the worst, but it's just an average. Uh, so I'm not sure if I'm convinced that these uh, devices will show a benefit that you might notice, but but possibly since and since there's a really high level of variability just based on the studies here, you know. If you're already set on getting one, I'd go for the less expensive product myself. I agree. Even, uh, let's say these uh, do do something, um, you know, whether or not- Did you say do do? (laughs) (laughs) I did, yeah. Oh, you're so immature, Barry. You know, (laughs) let's say they work and I, you know, they both work. I just don't know you know, a $1,500 difference that you would notice a difference between the two of them. So I would start with the less expensive device. And if you like what you get, move on up to the next level and, you know, keep your eyes peeled for evolving information. I think looking at laser light therapy in the realm of skincare is a relatively new uh, thing that's being studied and published. You know, I've looked at it a bit for uh, you know, the effect of the skin um, on your scalp. And there's just a long way uh, to go with the different wavelengths of light. So keep your eyes peeled. Start with the less expensive one if you're dead set on getting one. And uh, if you love it, then you can upgrade. But I, I wouldn't jump into the Ferrari right away. Yeah, I would say $2,000 could buy a lot of skin cream. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of Botox. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even better. Oh All right, we got time for one more question here. It comes to us from Erin uh, from Patreon. She says, hi, I recently discovered your podcast, and you guys rule. Yay. Uh, what are your thoughts on this new skincare delivery system that is funded by NASA and the NIH? So the technology is a website called droplet.io, and it is a device a physics-powered device, I think all devices are physics-powered, right, that (laughs) transforms skincare ingredient serums into a powerful micro-mist, allowing for the delivery of skincare deep into your skin. Starts at $299. The one-minute treatment with deep infusion superpowers. I don't know, Perry. uh... Uh, I'm not going to lie. I looked at this, and at first I was like, wow, this is insane what a gimmick it is. And then I was like, I'm totally buying one. (laughs) (laughs) Not in that succession. The more I spent looking into it, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I get like so mad at myself when that happens because I'm like $300. Like, what are you thinking, Valerie? But also I'm like, add to cart. Well, it's it's amazing uh, the power of of marketing especially when it's backed by nasa and the national institute of health oh my gosh and i think mit's involved there (laughs) i'm like wow but i was looking at just the claims that they make i mean 
they first they don't have any peer-reviewed published studies they say they did a lot of studies uh it's not published anywhere so you can't really compare they make the claim that 90 percent of all topical products only stay on the surface which that's that's not true (laughs) i mean uh i guess it depends on what you consider the surface right and what is it you can't just make that generalization Right. Uh, ingredients and formulas, they penetrate. And I guess it depends on what do you consider the surface. Certainly, uh, if you just consider like the top 10 layers of the uh, stratum corneum, the surface, uh, some people could say that's not. I mean, that's below the surface. You know, below one cell below, you're below the surface. Uh, they made a claim that they get 20 cells below, uh, which I, I don't know. I mean, I've done tape stripping studies that have ripped off that much. And you can show other products can get that deep. So I'm not even sure what benefits this uh, technology is showing. The other thing that was interesting is their studies are not based on their skincare actives with the device versus just water with the device. One of the studies they showed was, you know, 50 microliters of distilled water with the device for 30 seconds versus 100 microliters of distilled water via topical administration. So... This device, which uh, obviously creates uh, mist in the air, which, you know, could be considered humidity. It's, you know, adding moisture to the air. Your skin's exposed Mm -hmm. to it versus just splashing some water on your face. Like, of course, there's going to be a difference, right? You know, I would have loved to see the device with the water and the device with the products because ultimately they want you to buy products that go into the device. It's not like you put your own products in there and you get the delivery. It's their serum. So it's like... But I'm still probably going to add it to cart. (laughs) Well, you'll have to let us know how it goes. It seems like science washing to me. And I'm not sure that you would notice uh, any benefit. Although the halo effect is very strong. I'm not adding it to cart. Mr. Cosmetic Chemist would Uh, kill me. (laughs) (laughs) So... Oh, all right. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. As we, as a reminder, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon, and if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. That keeps us from having to read uh, all of the different uh, ads that you might hear uh, on other podcasts. We try not to have any on ours. If you get a chance, please go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever, and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, uh, first join Patreon because we'll give your question a higher priority. And then send but, us an ideal question. <laughs> exactly. But if you uh, if you don't, you don't have to, we, we certainly will answer questions from anybody, uh, especially if they're interesting to us. Uh, but you can just record your question on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. You can ask questions there too. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. And I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Gosh, I say that so much better than Randy. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Kittens.